I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to the club. Telegraph Audio Football Club. It was a reasonably eventful weekend in the Premier League, but with Jose Mourinho returning to Stamford Bridge, really, what did you expect? Today on AFCT, we'll be dissecting events both on and off the pitch at Chelsea, failings across West London at Fulham, and an appropriate amount of waxing lyrical about the Manchester City footballing supermen. Plus, Newcastle sadness, trouble brewing for Palace, a European roundup, and some thoughts about the next move for Arsene Wenger. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by your friend and mine and a friend to all of Europe. It's Mina Rizuki. Mina, how are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you. I thought you were introducing someone else. No, no. <laughs> you hear the word Europe, you think Mina Rizuki. Absolutely. <laughs> Stand up, please, for the president of tactics. It is, of course, JJ Ball. What's going on, JJ? Uh, lots of tactics are going on. Yep. And football. All is nice. Hi, Tom. <laughs> yeah, well summarised, thank you. Uh, and a large AFC Telegraph. Welcome back to Football Reporting's Boy Wonder. It's Sam Dean. How are you, Sam? I'm very well and very embarrassed by that introduction. Good, good. That's that's what we try to do here. Let's start at Stamford Bridge. A two-all draw between Chelsea and Manchester United. But the most excitement was on the touchline afterwards where Marco Iani goaded Jose Mourinho into some mild scuffling after the late equaliser. Uh, what's your take, AFC Telegraph teammates? Handbags or horrifying? I loved it. <laughs> I loved it too. Yeah, you're not supposed to say that. Oh, you're supposed to say no one wants to see that. I but don't of course, care. everyone wants to see that. I go against the rules. So that's the only reason I watch Italian football is for the potential of that happening. <laughs> yeah. To happen more in Italian football. <laughs> of course. And that's why it was the Italian who provoked him, you know? It's, I guess best because you know nothing bad will actually happen. You, you know, it's just people going, oh, oh hold my back, hold my back. Like nothing's ever going <laughs> to happen. And that's why it's so fun to watch. These guys have been paid millions just losing their heads. I, oh, it was fantastic. The game was great as well. But that stuff was oh, awesome. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, we expected it to be quite a cautious game, didn't yeah. we, Jojo? You certainly wrote as much in your tactical preview on Friday. But, man, you went for it a little bit more than we were expecting. They played the first half, I thought they actually played it really well. They weren't very fun to watch Man United, but they played it. It didn't give Chelsea much. Alonso got through on goal once and his touch wasn't good enough. And the goal they conceded was another set piece. But uh, I thought they were pretty, they were okay. They were much better in the second half and they came out and they really went for them. 
Um, I think Jose Mourinho put Romelu Lukaku on for Lukaku as a substitution in the second half, and he was then decent getting on the ball. The worst part about the game for me was Paul Pogba throwing Lindelof under the bus <laughs> for uh, for not. So Paul Pogba lost his man for the goal. And then shouted at Lindelof as though it was his fault for like, and he's going there. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I didn't realise it was me. I was I was marking the David Luiz there like I was supposed to. But sorry, I got in your way. Well, you lost your man. Yeah, it was quite an endearingly sort of childish tantrum from Bob. He sort of jumped up with his knees to his chest and was really throwing his arms and everything. It was quite. Um... I made me angry at him because how dare he throw his arms like that? The boy, it was his fault for losing them because he's pointing somewhere else. Over the, the, when the ball was down in the corner spot, he's pointing over to someone. Not not looking at all. If you go, if you're marking man to man, you have to follow your man the entire time. It wasn't zonal marking. I think Lukaku was at the front post. That was it. It's all man to man. So it's very obvious what your job is. So then, if you get like, it was so easy that Rudiger just goes one side of uh, of it's, uh, Louise. I think he was blocking him with. Um, I think it's Lindelof. Yeah, it mm. blocking him. So he goes the other side of him. Pogba goes on the other side and then starts throwing toys in the pram. And at half time, he goes straight to Lindelof again. He's telling him what he did wrong. But this is the thing, like, I don't understand. You know, when we always talk about Pogba and we're like, oh, okay, you know, like, you know, is he captain? Is he capable of all of this? Does it really matter who was at fault? As long as you conceded a goal, it was a team that you conceded a goal. It's not about you as a person taking the responsibility for it. How embarrassing I lost my man or actually it's Lindelof's fault. You still lost, a, like, a goal. That's all that matters. It's a bit, it does, doesn't look great that he's digging someone else out for what did look like his mistake, though. But he's, he's a captain. And remember, most people will say to you, you know, Paul Pogba, he is the, this is why I'm telling you that I have issues with him. I mean, not that I, I don't have issues with Mourinho. This is another thing with Mourinho. Like, I just thought, why does it have to break down before your team starts to play, for me, the way that they are supposed to play? I There's nothing that I... I'm, I, I told you, I don't like guys who have a philosophy of football, even if it's a negative philosophy, even though I like my defensive football. I don't... You know, don't make these people... You've got a very attack-minded squad. And they are beautiful when they are in their elements. You've got someone like Juan Mata, who's got all the all the vision and creativity and an awareness of where his teammates are. You've got two runners in Martial and Rashford. You've got a lot of people on this pitch that can attack and score goals. Why did we have to wait until the second half to see them play the kind of football that suits the players that you have? I just find it really bizarre. This is why I think there are so many other coaches in the world that are so underestimated from, you know, Monaco's Hadim, who's now left. Somebody, you know, who understands that if if I've got defence players, I'll play defensive football. If I've got attacking players, I'll play attacking football. But once again, just like against Newcastle, we needed to wait until it broke before he started playing the game that he's supposed to play. But Mourinho says that as well. Like, he agrees. <laughs> That's the weird part. Like, he clearly wants them to be fired up, but they're just not. So whether it's other backroom staff, he's missing them. Um, so you don't think that this is him? Now, I wonder if that was a thing. Maybe he was a big influence in the dressing room. I don't know. Uh, they, were, they were talking about the match today, and Alan Shearer suggested that it's because... They're, it's a lack of confidence so, from the start and uh, from the from the players from the start so they're not confident so once they're down they've got nothing to lose so they're losing so then they can just sort of turn up and it, it, I think you see it a lot with teams um, okay. like like big teams playing against smaller ones they sort of switch off until they're down Celtic were doing it this weekend as well they were sort of they were coasting and then uh, and when they're against it suddenly like someone equalises against them or they go down suddenly they turn up and they just go and they start remembering how to play I think man you do that who is it that they had? Was it Matter that they had man marking Jorginho? Um, uh, yeah, he was tight to him a lot of the time. Yeah, but why don't you just let Matter do what Matter does best rather than that kind disrupts, of a defensive? Because Jorginho has all the touches and passes for Chelsea. He's got more passes and touches than any player in the Premier League this season. 
and uh, everything flows through him like Sari Ball everything goes to him he drops deep yeah no I get that but why don't you let Mata show you that he can be better than Jorginho if you allow him to control this is where I think that it is him being a bit defensive in the first half let's talk about Chelsea a more neutral uh, topic perhaps for our teammates here Uh, Ross Barkley playing a key role again what's changed for him since arriving at Chelsea Sam why, why is he looking better Oh, I think it was really interesting what he said a few weeks ago about the first. this is the first time he's been properly coached in his career, which was, I think, quite a remarkable thing to say and quite damning on his managers at Everton, particularly Roberto Martinez and his alleged sort of tactical understanding of the game. Um, but Barkley seems to be thriving in a team that, frankly, looks quite easy to thrive in. I mean, the position he's playing, which is sort of in front of Jorginho, who's going to give you the ball all the time, and next to Hazard, who's just going to cause havoc and create space for you all the time, is pretty much ideal and um, I think it's I mean it's Barkley's interesting because he was so clearly such a wonderfully talented player at the age of 19-20 I remember 2014 World Cup in the warm-up games I think against Ecuador for example he was man of the match then and was just like phenomenal and everyone was going mad over how this kid should play at the World Cup should start against Italy never did never got a minute but that's obviously been lost but that player has always been there just trying to sort of come out and uh, I did like it this week how he's described how his He's got rid of his tattoos on his arm. I don't know if you saw this. He had a he had a full sleeve of tattoos before, and in the last sort of few years, he's re- he's realised that was an error. He's, he's, he's really, laser removed them. So he's laser removed them. So he's quite literally shed his skin and become a new person. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. It's an unusual tactic. Uh, let's move across West London now. Um, the pub team, as JJ Ball called them, put four past uh, Fulham at the weekend, Cardiff City, uh, with uh, with an important win for them in Wales. Uh, tactical genius Neil Warnock deploying <laughs> Callum Patterson <laughs> up front. But was this victory more to do with how Fulham defended? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were hit really easy in the counter-attack. Um, Tim Ream, I think his name, the defender for Fulham, uh, made so many errors. Mm. They looked really nervous at the back. Um they were passive. Just, yeah, they're passive. Like it's just little bits. Like the first goal that Carter scored. Um, oh, what's his name? I've forgotten his name. Uh, I think it's Murphy scores. Mm. Uh, where he slots it from inside of his right foot into the bottom corner. The defender showing him inside, but you know he's right footed. He's inside forwards. So you should push him wide. It's a great finish, but that shouldn't happen. Then the second goal, and, and Callum Chambers should have been sent off as well. And from what I've read from Fulham fans, uh, they are not particularly impressed at all with how he's getting on at Fulham. I, I was crunching the numbers on this, um, which is always fun to do on a, on a Monday morning. Um, <laughs> Jukanovic this season has made 13 changes to his defenders, and that's just his defenders. So he's gone from back four to back three, and he's not played the same back four or back three consecutively once. He's basically, every week he's changing it, trying a new formation, a new formula. And that quite clearly is just yeah. is not working at all. Can you blame him when they're playing like this, though? Well, you need some sort of stability, surely, particularly at the back when you just come up as well. And I mean, at the moment, they're on course to concede 106 goals this season, which would break the Premier League record by 17 goals. I mean, that's just like astonishingly bad at defending. But I think it should be made clear that they started last season really slowly and then caught fire in January. So basically, it takes some time. And the same happened the season before when they caught fire in about November, December. So it's not unusual for Fulham to start slowly under Jukanovic. So I think there is still hope. I'm not sure if they're aggressing. Also, I, I I think that it's less to do with the players that they're choosing to play. I always think that there are no wonderful centre-backs. You always need a complete unit and organisation in order to have 
it, you know, you could take a great centre back and put him into another team, and he'll just make all these mistakes because the unit's different or mm-hmm. it's not as organised. Well, but yeah. did, did you also watch Rio Ferdinand's QPR career, Mina? Because uh, that is bringing quite a few bells. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's quite a sad moment for you, I understand, uh, as a yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been mostly sad moments. That defence conceded twenty-two shots to Cardiff. Who, by the way, looked like, I mean, this was a team that many were like, are they ever going to score a goal? And they all of a sudden looked like they had all the ability in the world. The thing with Fulham is obviously they came up by playing good, enterprising football that was always on the attack. And the fact is, is that now you realise that there is, you know, they are inferior in terms of technique or to the big teams that they are facing and there needs to be an adjustment to the tactics they play just yeah, to suit but I don't think that although I do like I think it's good he's to stick with that plan like I like that he wants to play progressive football and um, and that's the way I think that you should always try and make it a bit fun to watch and get you what you can but I think you're totally right the players are just not quite as good as the ones they're playing against <laughs> they're yeah. still quite good and they'll get chances like Shirley's hit was an absolute pinger Fantastic. but um they're going to get done again. If you, they got done by Cardiff. I know. Well, they've signed too many players. I mean, that's that was obvious, I think, from day one when they had about seven new players starting against Crystal Palace. You can't just build a whole new team. I mean, Liverpool mm. tried it when they sold Suarez, went terribly. Spurs tried it when they sold Bale, went terribly. <laughs> and clearly, like, I mean, Fulham's business looked quite good until mm. the last day of transfer window when they got about eight new players in. Everyone went, what are you doing? You're, you're fine. You don't need to do this. And um, it's clearly been too much change. And whether that's just a matter of time that they get used to it. I don't know. Personally, I think the more it goes back to last season's formula, the better. And on that, I think they are missing Tom Kearney, who was like, you know, pretty much their most important player last season and sets the whole tempo for them. And he's been out injured since the Burnley game, barring I think he played half an hour against Everton. And wasn't yeah, quite the, Brian Sessnion scoring quite a lot of goals last season as well. Mm-hmm. And he's not starting that, that much recently. So he got his first Premier League goal on the he weekend. Did? Yeah. It was a lovely little through ball from Mitrovic mm. that made it. I feel sorry for Sessegnon because I think people heard about his figures and his numbers in the championship and expected a player... They thought he was Gareth Bale. They thought he was Gareth Bale yeah. or Jadon Sancho type player with you know stepovers and nutmegs and scoring worldies from 30 yards. But that's not the kind of player he's he like is. He's a poacher and that floats in the back post. He's, yeah, he reads the game brilliantly and he's clinical mm. and he's sort of a game who... He's a player who sort of is decisive. But he's not the kind of game, kind of guy who will get the ball and beat four men and stick in the top corner. But yeah. I think people expected that. He's getting judged on what people thought he would be not what he actually is and I feel sorry for him for that. Jukanovic second in the betting behind Mourinho to be the first Premier League manager to lose his job. Would you stick with him, Mina? I mean, you know how I like defensively minded coaches but no, I would stick with him because it's still the beginning. They've still come up. It it takes time to change everything about the team and, and, and allow all these new players to embed themselves within the patterns of play and achieve balance. So I think he deserves until until January. Who would you replace him with? How much money do they have to spend? Well, Shad Khan's got Shad Khan's got some spare money now. He's not buying Wembley, <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> Manchester City are beginning to assume their ultimate form. Uh, they saw off Burnley extremely comfortably. Looked very good doing so. I loved that Fernandinho goal for them. I, I don't think there's oh, anything fantastic. more satisfying in football than watching someone come in from out of shot on the TV and and just hammer it. Uh, very very exciting indeed. What did you make of it, JJ? Uh, I also loved that Fernandinho goal very much. There's a few things that I really enjoyed in this game. My absolute favourite bit was a controversial moment involving high studs. 
uh, which Company. was, of course, no, it was Joe Hart oh. screaming oh. at the far post <laughs> after season the fifth. <laughs> if you can see this in any sort of highlights, it's so funny because he's kept his head quite well during the rest of the game. He's letting four and he's getting angry with defenders. But the fifth one, he just like goes, ah! <laughs> and he charges, he charges towards the back post and then he kicks it and starts going, you, ah, you, ah, like, you know, like a cartoon. It's, a, it's really, really funny. Uh, yeah, Co- that company it. challenge as well was a weird one. That's a classic 30 seconds in the referee doesn't want to send anyone off, but he left like a hole <laughs> in Aaron Lennon's uh, But I feel leg. like Vincent Company, like, he's, the way that he's played his football, he's always susceptible to making these either sliding tackles or, for me, quite risk-taking like uh, blocks and interventions on on uh, on the opponent, so that's why I've never been a huge fan of him. But I don't. I know that he is very much like loved by everyone in the Premier League, seen as like one of the most tremendous centre backs that yeah, we've I got. Yeah, I love him. I think he's great. I think that, that all action style plays quite well with uh, English crowds. I think. I think they want to see someone who maybe isn't. You know, John Terry's a good example. Often left himself a bit short, but was able to make up for it with quite spectacular tackles. Yeah, but I I, I think John Terry was better. Sure. Um, I, I mean, for me, much better. I have an issue with the fact that company is always a little bit flat-footed and I don't think he pivots very well. So so he finds himself in a wrong position in which he needs to do a sliding tackle. And I don't think you need to do a sliding tackle if you're well-positioned in the first place. But anyway, that's not my, my um, concern. He should have been sent off. Uh, it was Probably, the very yeah. beginning. And I get that everyone, you know, is always a little bit scared to do that. But that's a dangerous foul that, that you cannot stay on the field after committing that. And... You know, other than the fact that the second goal was also out. Oh, I feel like Sam wants to say something. Yes, Sam. Sam looks uh, <laughs> somewhere in Sam between is... like unimpressed and like ready to ready to Sam. really explode. Breathing in so hard, I thought you might like start to float away. <laughs> <laughs> With just smoke coming out. Yeah. No, I mean this is actually it's, it's kind of irrelevant. But like, he didn't get sent off. Burnley lost quite comprehensively. Oh yeah, but Sean Dyche trying to claim afterwards that oh. Yeah, card. but that's not going to make like the this, difference. Your issues go far deeper than that, Sean. Like your your team's really struggling, and you've just been absolutely battered. Don't try and turn it on to this <laughs> thirtieth foul in the thirtieth second. Like I don't think it's actually changed that much. Uh, but I, you know, are you sure though? Because the, the free kick they did get from that nearly led to a goal. If they had scored that, had company been sent off, it's a very different game with eleven men against you know, the no. superstars that are. <laughs> I yeah, mean, obviously they weren't. They, were, they were absolutely thrashed. Yeah, yeah. they were um, comprehensively thrashed. Is he, yeah, is he not protecting his players a little bit there, Daesh? Because they, you know they they were absolutely schooled by a team that will do that to a lot of other teams. But maybe it's a tactic from him to maybe. say, you know, don't worry too much about it, lads. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna what? say something outrageous. The Daesh is going further and further down the road of sort of self parody. I'm afraid he's uh, painting himself as you know old-fashioned football man and he keeps railing against di- I mean not that he's wrong to rail against diving and that kind of thing but he's presenting himself as this sort of the last bastion of sort of English hope and I think it's it's getting a bit old for me <laughs> maybe that's harsh but that's the way I'm seeing it's it English hope there is something that uh, I've noticed um, from looking through various optostats um, for, from chances created per 90 minutes in the Premier League Phil Foden has made more than any other player Wow. 5.87. This is because he's only played 46 minutes, but he's created three chances in that time. He came on the came on the pitch against Burnley and his first involvement was to go around someone and then chip it to the back post to set up a free header mm. that uh, was missed. But he's amazing. Like already he's such a good player. Are we in agreement that City are better than last season? I think so. I, I think, think so. Like more they've got more to them they can do a bit more. I think Mahrez, it's too Mendy. early, no. Morris is looking so good. Yeah, and they got do, Mendy back, and Laporte played every minute. I think of the Premier League season, and he's, he's been like, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, so I think 
they're already looking three players better than they were this time last year. For me, the fact that I, I what I really appre- appreciate is what they did against Liverpool. I love that they adjusted themselves to face a side that can play direct and obviously football that tends to threaten them. So the fact that they can do that bodes well for them in the future in terms of achieving balance. In the Premier League, we know they're the best, but I think that what we care about is what they're going to do in Europe. Yes, the real testers against Shakhtar Donetsk this week. Move on to the rest of the Premier League. Everton took their time but saw off Crystal Palace at Goodison Park. Uh, no win in four now for Palace and it doesn't get any easier uh, from here for them, Sam. They've got a horrendous run of fixtures. and They've got Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs and Man United as their next four. Crikey. Which is uh, very worrying and they're not scoring very many goals at all which is also worrying. Uh, I suppose the encouraging thing is that this time last season they'd gone seven games without getting a point so they are further ahead than they were then but I don't see much sort of development since you know Christmas time when Hodgson sort of steadied the ship I it, it does all fall down pretty badly if your main striker the kind of the, presumably one of the highest paid players at the club the guy who's supposed to be leaving the line just isn't doing it and I'm talking of course about Christian Benteke yeah that's a major issue and it's put too much pressure on Zaha and teams just double up on him triple up on him I mean why wouldn't you because he's the only only threat really and I think it's a problem for Hodgson to fix and I'm not quite sure Hodgson's the man who's going to I mean, Hodgson makes teams solid and hard to beat. Yeah. And that's been Palace for a while, but their issue isn't that. Their issue is breaking down teams and scoring goals. And I don't think he's necessarily going to be the answer for too much longer. Can they buy players in the transfer market that can change that? Uh-huh. Anyone that is available to them? Probably not, no. I mean, to buy a good attacker these days in Premier League is going to change your centre forward. I mean, it's at least 30 million, isn't it? And they spent that on Benteke about. Oh, well, this is a whole ago. other issue that I don't want to hit. I don't know what's going on. I've switched it off. You saw that, right? <laughs> Roy has magic powers, and he knows you're off. talking about. <laughs> I don't understand. Palace haven't changed their. It's exactly the same shape that they play. It's Hodgson's old famous four-four-two kind of diamondy shape. He's got Townsend and Zaha as strikers now, so they're they're almost extra wingers when they're defending. One of them goes through the middle, and the other one goes wide. And it's meant to be all compact so no one can break them down. But once he conceded one goal, then that's the whole plan kind of ruined mm. and then they don't have much else to do. No, you're right, because that's all that he really can do is just make sure that they're hard to beat. That's exactly mm. what Sam said. So I can't imagine how they, he can try to get the best out of his forward line. That was always the issue with him. It was Liverpool with this weekend's mandatory standard victory over a straggler. 1-0 at Huddersfield. Better finishing might have saved Huddersfield. They certainly had the chances, uh, so much so that Klopp said sorry afterwards to his best man. Um, Huddersfield looks sort of up for it and determined, but they're just not really strong enough anywhere in the pitch, it would seem. What, what should they do to uh, to maintain their Premier League relevance? It's a tough question. <laughs> that is a really <laughs> tough question. I think you sounded up quite nicely there. That you know, they work hard and they're up for it, but they just haven't got quality there's some poor teams in the league this year it's, it's it's tricky at the moment to pick like you know they create so many opportunities like I think that they had quite a few opportunities for them to equalise or possibly even win this match I mean obviously Liverpool are so superior in terms of technique and, and, and so much, so many things but we know that they're not playing their best football at the moment but with Huddersfield I just it, it's poor finishing it's poor decision making in the final surge they're it is also sometimes a question of confidence, but it's like in his post-match conference and, and, and Wagner was saying, you know, this is another time that I've come here to tell you that I think my team is playing really well and yet we're not really finding a way through. And then Klopp was saying, it's you know another time in which I come to tell you that my team isn't playing very well, but we do have all the points. You know, it's one of those, 
I don't know whether it's a question of luck, but good teams eventually will get their points, perhaps. I, I don't know whether Huddersfield can really be considered a good team, but I certainly think they're better than where their current standing is. Yeah, it's quality, isn't it? That's the difference between having someone like Salah, who can put a chance away, and someone like Laurent de Potra, who can't. And it's yeah. just purely, you know, it's yeah. just the quality of players. You can play badly if you're yeah, Liverpool and rely on one moment of genius or one moment of class from Shakiri. Our old friend Next G is there as well. Uh, Huddersfield were 0.9 to Liverpool 0.6. Wow. So Huddersfield should probably have got at least a draw out of it. It was a big game for Hugo Lloris down at the uh, London Olympic Stadium uh, in which Spurs saw off West Ham 1-0. Do we think Lloris is over his blip now? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, that was a very... I mean, I was there for this one and it was a very odd, oddly flat sort of atmosphere, which it does tend to be at London Stadium. But I was, I arrived there, you know, glorious summers, glorious autumn, summery day. And I thought this would be a good day for the West Ham fans to really get up and go for it. And it just didn't really happen until the sort of final five minutes. The Yarmolenko injury kind of, sometimes a a big, horrible injury like that can take it out of a crowd. That was a really odd one because obviously there was no one near him, which I think when that happens, most players will observers see this is quite a serious problem when he just goes down like that um, but it was when Arnautovic went up to see if he was okay and then like recoiled and put his hands over his eyes and then like screamed for the physios that he knew something quite bad had happened I wondered and this may be a bit too grim but like he's ruptured his Achilles and I know you can hear those sometimes like you can hear the snap so I do wonder if anyone in that vicinity because there are quite a few players looking quite distressed by it I wonder if that had been that he's had that same injury before as well and it's from the I am no doctor but from the little reading, I've, yeah, I know. I'm sorry, I was delighted to get in here. The uh, the reading I've done in that is a uh, it can be a like a real career, not maybe not ender, but it changes the way you can move uh, and to do it twice to recover from it and do it again. The poor boy, he was just starting to get really into his game as well. Mm-hmm. It's interesting this game because the uh, a lot of West Ham fans are saying, oh, you know, we did well to come back, and it, it took three wonderful saves from Lloris to stop Arnautovic, which is true. But the first two of those chances came by the 60th minute and then West Ham for half an hour just offered nothing at all going forward they were so sort of devoid of imagination and then in the last minute they had another another little push as you always do with one one minute to go but I really thought West Ham were quite poor and then afterwards Pellegrini came out and said he thought they played a good game there's quite a few journalists in the press conference with the frowns etched upon their faces at that because it's just I thought they're just completely lacking in so much quality up front. Do you think they were psychologically affected because they did create all those chances and did have, you know, did have your recent doing in, incredibly well to save from them? So after that, it was just a case of, yeah, you know, Yarmolenko went off. It was just a, a downer. Well, maybe they did get better after he went off, <laughs> oddly. Um, the, the young guy, um, Dian Garner, came on, who looks quite a promising academy prospect. And he always, that kind of player always gets the crowd going a bit, doesn't he? But, um, no. It just felt flat. The whole thing just felt flat, to be honest. It felt like a Billich game when Billich was there. And that maybe is harsh on Pellegrini and the new players, but it just didn't feel... Is that the crowd being flat or the players not really bringing anything to them to get loud about? Or is it Spurs being good? Uh, I think yeah, also a combination no one, no, of all three. No one even mentioned that. Yeah. You know, Lamella's they're, doing one. They're a thing. very, very capable team, aren't they, Spurs? They, they just sort of get it done in, in the kind I of pleasing, consistent way. I have a controversial opinion on Spurs. I don't really enjoy watching them play. Oh, much. no. Yeah. I'm not sure. They are still dependent on sometimes, you know, somebody coming up with something like Lamella was in great form. Exactly, time, yeah. You know? it's, it's like a really structured approach that depends on individual brilliance and you can't really rely on it. So 
It reminds me of oh, Samson and Green. Yeah, this is gonna be fun. <laughs> this is so harsh. <laughs> it reminds me. So like, I know they're very well drilled and organised, and they they're very hard to break down. And they, the thing that annoys me is they just foul, like they foul, they break up play. So it's very frustrating to watch. It's not free flowing. When they go forward, they can do some bits, and they have very talented players who can create. I love watching Christian Eriksen play. I know me and Sam have a bit were debating this earlier already, <laughs> but. Uh, they just they remind me a lot of when so there was these old Man United teams that people remember as being the most exciting of all time and they weren't they used to win games but they would be hard to break down and then they would just find a way to win because they're good players and I think Spurs are a bit like that now so and it's just they don't it's not amazing fun to watch but they do win points it's the Italian way isn't it I mean, that's how they were defeated in the Champions League last season. And you love Poch. Yeah. I do. I love Poch. And I do, like, I agree with, I don't mind that way of playing as long as you can guarantee that that's going to happen. But with his squad and the fact that they haven't, I don't know if he can do that. So there needs to be a different direction, in my opinion. But usually that is, it's not the best way of doing things, but usually it can work. I mean, I can just tell you that Inter this season have been tremendously awful and they keep winning all their matches. So. I think it's hard to overstate just how good a good job Pochettino's done this season and over the summer. I mean, yeah. this is a guy who's had no new signings, despite mm. clearly wanting some. He's had half his team was playing in the World Cup semi-finals, nine of the, in the last weekend, so there's no preseason for pretty much any of his best players. He's had six of the nine games have been away because of the stadium issues. And on top of that, he's done all the PR for Daniel Levy on his stadium, on the signings, on everything. And then he's got his captain's been done for drink driving. Mm. Like, the whole thing's been like... Shambles after shambles after shambles. He's lost Deli Ali. He's lost Ericsson to injury. He's lost Dembele to injury. He's lost Vertonghen to injury. He's lost Danny Rose to injury. And all these things are piling up. And there's so many reasons why Spurs should be struggling. Yeah, they just keep winning. And like, it's phenomenal how he's done that. And he's got players like Sissoko this weekend, who's an average player, I think, for that squad, coming forward and producing performances when it matters and really stepping up for the team. And that is like, for me, a sign of a manager at the absolute top of his game. What about another good manager whose team aren't very much fun to watch but unfortunately aren't winning at all and that is Rafa Benitez in Newcastle uh, having a shocking season lost to Brighton at the weekend. Um, As we say in today's paper, Monday's paper, uh, it was unthinkable quite recently to suggest that Benitez might go but are we approaching the time now where a change might be needed? This is interesting because I was reading, you know, like, this question and everyone going on about Newcastle. And I don't know whether this is, so I'm going to ask you guys this question. Is it, do people hate Mike Ashley and, you know, loving Benitez because of the fact that he's not investing money into the squad? Because this was going back to the question that we spoke about before, which is how many 30 million pound strikers are available that we they, they can get? Is it a case of unless you're spending millions and we're trying to equal the record that we managed for Michael Owen, then you're not a great manager and we need all this money in order to compete? I think that's such a huge question. We could do a whole podcast on it. I think the big problem with Ashley and Newcastle, I think the big problem is that they feel he's ripped a lot of the soul out of the club. Um, it's no longer... It's it's like supporting a company now rather than a club. So they're paying customers. It's a lot, it happens to a lot of clubs. Um, Ashley's put so little into it that their transfer record is still Michael Owen after all this time. Money doesn't equal prizes. But the, the players they buy are just... They're, they're, they're nothing that has come in I mean they've got up, the, up front their options are Joselu and uh, Mutu um, So who's buying these players? Who's the ones who's scouting? They have this bizarre scouting system and the stories I mean I don't know how many of them are true but there's so many of them that it would just seem implausible that there's not some sort of coherence to, to some of the truth in them 
Um, Kevin Keegan's autobiographies just came out, and some of the stuff he was saying in it, I mean, yeah, some of the stuff was you know was said in court, so you know it's true. The the scouting system behind it makes no sense, and they they for a while they were buying young talent players from league uh, because uh, they had Graham Carr, who was quite well connected there, but then he ran out of his list, and then the players <laughs> they they signed after that haven't been able to do anything. Benitez has been pointing out they don't have the players to come in. The, the captain, uh, Jamal Lascelles, I really like. And I think he's a very good defender who could play for a bigger club. But Newcastle is a big club. It's just a better team he could play for. And what they do now is, I mean, does Benitez go? They've, they don't look like winning. They, the weird thing about that game is Jose Perez, who apparently about five years ago was linked with Real Madrid and everyone. Um, so he created six chances in that game, which is the, the joint most in the Premier League um, of the weekend. But they didn't score. Shelby had uh, more passes than any other player in the league this weekend, but didn't, you didn't see much of what he was really doing. It, it's, I don't know what's wrong with them apart from being bad. I think perversely, the worse they do until January, the, the better it might end up. Because if they are looking like they're nailed on relegation, then Ashley's surely going to have to stick his hand in his pocket. Really? He won't. He, he, won't hasn't, he hasn't shown any indication. Yeah. That's what he's well, the issue do. they've had is that Benitez has been the victim of his own excellence in that he's kept them up with the championship team. And Ashley's logically decided, well, I don't need to give him any players because he'll keep them up no matter who he's got. Give him a bunch of no-hopers and he'll keep them up because he's such a good manager. If that starts disappearing, i.e. Benitez loses some of that magic or can't just keep producing performances with players who aren't good enough, then he's going to have to make a decision to either invest in the squad or say we're going relegated again and start again which I don't do think he's going think on to do that's the question I, I think that the whole team like the whole board level needs to be restructured I think they need to bring in someone who actually can properly scout get rid of the thousands of people that they seem to have or whatever it is that you're referring to in terms of you know get a, a clear system where they are know where they're going to go which youngsters to bring up if you don't have money then that's not necessarily an issue and you have to be going down there are many teams that we've seen all across Europe who have very little money Deportivo Alaves are second in in, uh, in the Spanish league they're ahead of Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid and their budget last year was 62 million the year before was 49 and they are tremendously good. They've got a great coach. They have an eye for talent. If you don't have money, then, I don't know, go for young English boys. Go for, play, you know, 19-year-olds and 21s and and, and raise them properly. Like, you know, what, why is Jaden Sancho going to Bundesliga? Why not bring him into Newcastle and hope that they can all lift them together? There needs to be a restructuring. I don't think it's a case of let's go and spend loads of money and try to break our record and try to compete with Manchester City. Because even if you do compete with these guys, you still don't have Pep Guardiola at the helm. So... Mm-hmm. This is it, I think, though, because I think the fans would say the reason that hasn't happened is because Ashley is demonstrably not that interested. Yeah, he's like just he wants, not that he wants interested. To sell the club, so. he, he wants out, but um, the problem he's got is he invested a lot of his own money because when he was he initially bought into it and really wanted to try and do things before everything turned against him, he put a lot of his own money in as a non-interest uh, loan back to himself. And now, because he doesn't want to... He's, he's caught between two things because he doesn't want to have the company or the club devalued so he loses money on potential investors he won't sell for less than money he put in and he would want even more than that and no one wants to bid for it because yeah, they're in such a mess yeah exactly and the, the players they could sign so Benitez can bring through youngsters but you look at like teams like for example Monaco now lots of youngsters it doesn't work and especially in the Premier League with the, the staff they already have the playing staff it's not going to be enough putting youngsters like Jadon Sancho in and it could, you could potentially ruin young players like that they do have some young players that are there and coming through but the quality overall isn't if they were to sign, what about Watford scouting? You don't have to necessarily get young. But then they don't sanction just... it. So the players that Watford sign, Newcastle wouldn't, because Ashley wouldn't sanction it. He won't allow the the money to be spent 
because, like I said, it's um, a victim of his own success last season. Benitez kept them up; they were intense or whatever. So, if he says, if he says, "Well, if I spend fifteen million pound on this upcoming wonder kid," what if he turns into Jordan Ive? You know, doesn't do anything. But you said he would, and then you've got that waste of money. And Ashley wants to take that money so he can get it back into his own pocket, so he can eventually sell it for less than the value that he's getting offered just now by other companies. It is, without doubt, an enormous pickle. Mm. I did enjoy I his uh, Rafa's battle cry this weekend. We will try to find three teams worse than us. Come on! <laughs> Get in. I feel inspired. Finally, Arsenal host Leicester on Monday night, and it's a debut for a new man on the Arsenal beat. It's Sam Dean. How are you going to fare, do you think, Sam, in your big first test? This is the first game you will be covering in your new role. Uh, nervous, excited, um, t- difficult fixture. You Monday try night. and find three journalists worse than you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> tough, tough, tough on deadlines tonight. A bit of a runner with a late kickoff, so it's going to be a real test of character, I think. <laughs> what, do, what do you expect from the game? Uh, I'm a bit worried for Arsenal. I think this is a sort of team, Leicester, that could cause them problems, pacing behind with Vardy in particular. And I feel like players like Madison might be might be very influential tonight. I think it'd be interesting to see how Lucas Torreira or Granit Xhaka deal with his sort of roaming, floating threat. Um, but obviously every, everything's very positive with Arsenal right now. Nine wins in a row. They should be favourites tonight. You know, they should be strong enough to have enough in attack to do, do some damage. And I'm looking forward to seeing sort of Lacazette again back in action he's flying at the moment so I'm hoping to see him continue that good form I'm sure he will good luck to you Sam uh, we will now move on to what is written down here as a song for Europe with Mina Rizuki I think it's a, a European football roundup Mina your Juventus side lost their 100% record at the weekend but all the attention was on the Milan derby on Sunday night how did that pan out? Yeah, they lost their 100% record, but they can't always be expected to win every match. I mean, you know, Ronaldo scored a goal and then they perhaps got a little bit too arrogant and thought this is going to be an easy match. It is Genoa who have a new coach, so we're going to thrash them. But as it transpired, they dropped two points because Genoa equalised because, once again, Bonucci made a mistake at the back. And anyway, that doesn't matter because the Milan derby, like you said, was the topic of the weekend. Honestly, it's been 18 days of non-stop reporting. We have seen everything you can imagine. They have compared the wags of each team. They have called it the American Chinese derby. You know, who's the bigger superpower? Is it going to be, you know, Elliot, Milan's Elliot, you know, the hedge fund, the vulture fund versus, you know, suing the Chinese conglomerate that owns Inter? It's been like the rivalries of the commercial revenues, the two... Argentine strikers. There's no angle, honestly, that hasn't been covered. Even the cars they drive. <laughs> Why has it been such a big deal this time? Because, you know, they're, they're a long way behind Juve, aren't they, as, uh, in the league and have been for many years. What, what about this derby has so captured the imagination in Gazetta? Yeah, it's so true. Um, it's, it's because this time you feel like there's a genuine effort that these two sides are starting to come back into being a real force. At the start of the season, very many people thought Inter would be considered the anti-Juve, would be the team that's going to really challenge them closely because because obviously Ancelotti was coming in, sadly left, so no one was sure how Napoli were going to be. Obviously, they're still brilliant because Ancelotti will always be the best Italian coach. But, um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. But it, it was, you know, it was that, all the money being spent by Milan, the fact that they've now got Paolo Maldini back, Leonardo back at director level. Everyone is so excited about these two. 88,000 people came to the San Siro to watch. Um, there was 196 countries were broadcasting this. Everyone was like, this is going to be so exciting. It, for me, it was the dullest game I'd ever watched, <laughs> honestly. And once again, you know, Inter, who I have to say were, weren't as bad as usual, but they were still bad, largely because Milan decided to park the bus. I don't know 
know why. They are such a good technical team. They are susceptible to blackouts. But as usual, Icardi scored a last minute, uh, you know, goal at the very end of the game to seal the win for Inter, even though they never really dared to thrill and couldn't keep a pass accurate if to save their life. Uh, English friends Jaden Sancho and Reese Nelson thriving in Germany. Uh, is this a sign that the Bundesliga isn't all that? Or should we start getting very excited about these players? I've been saying for a long time the Bundesliga isn't all that. Oh. But no, that's not true. Um, Jaden, more importantly than I would say Nelson, Nelson is playing for Hoffenheim. He's got Junior Nagelsmann and obviously he is doing very well. But I think Sancho, what he has is Lucien Favre as coach. You know how Ross Barkley, you could see all the talent there, but he needed a coach such as Mario Sosari to teach him or to exploit that. What Jaden Sancho has got Lucien Favre, and he is a guy who got the best out of Royce and Mönchengladbach. He he really understands how to develop players. His knee side in France were very good to watch. He even got Balotelli to score with consistency. So the fact that Jaden's got him to teach him, he's now the top assist maker in the Bundesliga. You can see him really playing, and he's honestly the best coach for the youngsters to develop. And they're doing so well, largely because Bayern is doing doing so poorly. So we should be excited. The Bundesliga is an attack-minded league, so there are going to be lots of defensive gaps for that to be exploited. But hey, you know, like the Premier League, there's some gaps there too. So I don't, I don't think there's that's something that's too bad. I think it is worth pointing out that Sancho and Nelson are like two of the hottest English talents around. Like it's not like these are just like two bog-standard kids who are doing well in a poor league. These are two guys who yeah. have Come been for years. Potential. You know, for years people have been saying these two are ones to watch. Like clearly extremely gifted so I don't think it's any surprise I mean, I'm sure if they were playing for Watford and Fulham they'd be doing pretty well too it's just because they have to leave City and Arsenal where the scale of competition is far higher it's, it's certainly fun and quite exciting that they're doing it abroad as well it feels like it hasn't happened enough uh, historically what about in Spain Mina Lionel Messi fractured his arm at the weekend uh, out for three weeks he's so rarely injured do Barcelona have a plan B Oh, it was Man Dembele. Um, they're playing 4-3-3. I still think they need to play 4-4-2 because they still look so exposed in defence. They obviously don't have MTT. Um PK is sort of busy like with his other part-time job, which is, anyway. Um, he, so he's been travelling all of this international breaks. He's like, he went to Shanghai Masters and Madrid to launch the revamped version of the Davis Cup. Anyway, so defensively, I think there needs to be a little bit more balance and play the 4-4-2 that they did last season. But since they insist on a 4-3-3, then you can have Suarez, Dembele and Coutinho, which is the way that they played when Messi was taken off and it worked very well. And Suarez seems to be back in great form. I think that he's a really... I don't know, doing a lot better this season than he was last season. This isn't to say that Barcelona looked like a team capable of defeating the very best, but they did defeat Sevilla, who were at the top of the league. Very well done to Barcelona. Manchester United versus Juventus looks like the pick of this week's Champions League fixtures. How's that going to go, Mina? I don't know. I was kind of convinced we were going to thrash them. And then I saw that game against Chelsea and I thought, I don't know, if they decide to play that kind of football and they actually go all out and you have Juan Mata and the runners and and you actually attack with pace, then there's a possibility that you can really scare Juve because Juve are not that defensively secure this season. They're so focused on attack. They've got two two Brazilian, well, I'm sorry, one Brazilian fullback, one Portuguese fullback who love to spend most of their time in the offensive third. And it just looks like, you know, I don't, like my fullbacks only um, attacking but hey ho they've got Ronaldo and I don't know whether emotions will get the best of him because he is in Old Trafford but thank God there's no Sir Alex Ferguson so 
I mean, Juventus are supposed to be the very best this season, the best side that we've seen from them in the last eight. So I still think it's theirs. It's just about what Mourinho will do. I hope he plays cautiously because then I think Juve have more of a chance. Start another fight, possibly. Ronnie scored in both games against Man U for Madrid, didn't he? So since going back, he's uh, both times he's put them to the sword, as it were. And then doesn't doesn't celebrate. Mm. Yeah, Mm. but it is against Mourinho. He's going to love trying to annoy Mourinho. That's going to be very much what he's going to look forward to. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. JJ Ball, you know what time it is. Please provide me with your cleverest moment of the weekend. The cleverest moment of the weekend was uh, Watford's second goal in their smash and grab against Wolves. It was uh, Roberto Pereira's finish. Um, Abdoulaye Dukouré, my favourite midfielder of uh, recent weeks, gave us the assist. But it's a lovely goal. It's straight after they've scored and um, the uh, Wolves don't have the ball and they give it away and uh, Watford goes straight through them. But Pereira's finished, so he's right-footed. But with his left foot... He uh, sort of nicks it off the outside of it, his left foot, and it just curves around the outside of the keeper, totally confuses him, and that's how he manages to get the finish at the near post. It's lovely. Former UV player. Thank you very much, Mina. Well clarified. Let's wrap up thinking about our old friend Arsene Wenger, who has said he wants a job from the 1st of January 2019. Where would you most like to see him end up, Sam Dean? Uh, Real Madrid. Right. Because they're going to be in need of a new manager soon enough because they keep losing and are struggling. And I just think he's turned them down, in his words, two or three times in the past. I think it would be a job of the stature befitting a man of Wenger's class. And I think it'd be really, really extremely interesting to see just whether his methods are that outdated or not and just what kind of level he's at now. And I think that Real Madrid test would be a good one of gauging where Wenger stands in the modern sort of managerial rankings because frankly we don't know anymore because the whole Arsenal thing went on for so long that we just have no idea where he where he ranks I think that would be a very curious thing I'd to see I'd love to see a thrifty manager in charge of the Galacticos <laughs> Where um, are you sending him Mina? <laughs> um, I would like to see him at Bayern uh, just because you know <laughs> Bayern is just a mess at the moment um, and with everyone come, with the president and and the board coming out saying you're not allowed to criticise us anymore. And the fact that they're all like, you know, getting a little bit old. Maybe he's the right guy to come in and introduce a little bit of youth. And uh, I know that he's not German since that's what they like, or at least German born or German speaking. But I reckon he could be fun there. I'm sure he could speak German. He did a big interview with Bild the other day, the German tabloid. And I wondered whether that was a deliberate choice of newspaper interesting interesting JJ Arsene Wenger where's he going well I agree with Sam I would like to see him at Real Madrid but I also would have written down I'd like to see him at Bayern Munich but also oh. he'd be good at PSG doing the you know restoring some uh, some Champions League class to them house um, but also um, Aberdeen he'd oh be good yeah, there. yeah. And, uh, and if Mourinho does go at some point imagine him going to Man United wouldn't yes. that be fun yes yeah, imagine him being the man who displaced Mourinho <laughs> that would be the great thing yeah, that's definitely what I, I want to see I think he'd fit in quite nicely at Fulham really I mean, they play sort of flowery attacking football with not any sort of actual meat or structure to them. So, you know, it's sort of all the same problems he's had before, you know, he'll be able wouldn't to... It, wouldn't it be amazing if he did take a job that was like a, a serious couple of levels below what he'd been used to and just absolutely smashed it? What a wonderful Newcastle coda to his career. By the way, I think that's exactly how you're supposed to do it so that you can show everyone just how much of a good coach you are, you know? Like, let's just take a regular club 
and I'll show you how brilliant I can make them. Mm. He turned Grandpa 7 into Grandpa 8, of course, which was one of his greatest achievements to date. Is that funny? Probably I not. I don't get it. No, is. not do I, really. <laughs> <laughs> is that the Japanese team he's in charge of? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that is quite solid. <laughs> he's a bit of background knowledge to, to <laughs> back, back yourself, Tom. Never doubt, never doubt your own gags. It's a good joke. I need We'd... to do a bit of homework on it. That's your lot from this week's AFC Telegraph. If you want me before next time, head over to the website Twitter and find me at Tom with an H Gibbs. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club somewhere on the internet. I'm sure you will take it from there. We're still waiting for some witty reviews on Apple Podcasts. Leave us one and I'll read out the best on next week's episode. And please don't be shy when it comes to allocating your stars. Thanks to impressive debutant Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>